The Way Out Podcast, episode 72. Before I actually entered into a program, I, I definitely thought that there was, you know, like you said, the bottom. And I didn't feel like I was at that. Um, I didn't lose everything. But in a sense, I lost a lot of things that were important to me, even if they weren't material things or everybody in my life, that kind of thing. But I lost important relationships. I was going to have a couple drinks, drive home, and I wasn't able to do that. And I ended up in a situation with people that I didn't want to be with, doing actions that I didn't want to do, and woke up the next day feeling like I was the worst person in the world. And when you do that enough times, maybe not to that degree every time before, but then you get to that time, it's kind of a wake up call. I want you know to be around people that it, are gonna be fun and happy and I'm gonna drink a little bit and I'll feel better. And then all of a sudden I was just like, what am I doing? This is not the answer. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of The Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow The Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm your host, Charlie L. This week, I bring you my conversation with Laura L., a dear friend of mine who I met upon entering recovery just over three years ago. Laura's story provides incredibly instructive context into the discussion on bottoms and recovery. With over four years of continuous sobriety, Laura shares how she not only recovered from alcoholism, but also from the trauma of being an adult child of an alcoholic as well. Listen up. Laura, welcome to the Way Out podcast. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me and uh, talk about um, bottoms in recovery. And we'll get to that later. But first, before we do that, Let's introduce you to the Way Out podcast audience. All right. Well, I'm Laura. (laughs) Uh, And I'm an alcoholic. And how long, Laura, have you been in recovery? It has been just a little over four years now. That's amazing. All in a row. Yes. (laughs) Nights and weekends. Consecutively. 
amazing. Absolutely 100% amazing. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about bottoms and recovery with you is because I think your story is really instructive in terms of how we get to a place where we're willing to do whatever it takes in order to recover. Mm-hmm. And that's different for, for, for each person, I think. Definitely. And I think there's this overall perception, maybe outside of recovery, but maybe even inside sort of recovery, uh, that you have to hit this ridiculously low bottom in order to recover. Mm -hmm. You have to lose your house. (laughs) You have to lose your wife. You have to lose your children. You have to lose your job. You have to lose everything that you've ever owned. And you have to be down and out and destitute in order to be a, quote, a real alcoholic. Right. Right. (laughs) And B, in order to be able to recover. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just knowing, you know, your story as well as I know it now over the three years and that I've known you, um, that's definitely not the case for you. Right. And I think that's really cool because your recovery is amazing and beautiful and super meaningful in so many different ways. And you exude a sort of sense of peace and comfort with your recovery that is something that I admire. Well, and you. I know that other people <laughs> admire within uh, uh, within the rooms of recovery. So maybe just talk a little bit about what it, what the bottom was for you, okay, and how that transpired, okay. right? Um, so that maybe people can get an understanding that you don't have to go down to the lowest lowest possible level and nearly be dead, right? Well, you know, definitely, I think starting off. Before I actually entered into a program, I I definitely thought that there was, you know, like you said, the bottom. And I didn't feel like I was at that. Um, I didn't lose everything. But in a sense, I lost a lot of things that were important to me, even if they weren't material things or everybody in my life, that kind of thing. But I lost important relationships um, when I first felt like I hit the bottom, excuse me, I thought I was in control, but I wasn't when I was drinking. And, um, you know, I've discussed this with you before, but basically I went into a night of drinking, thought I was going to have a couple drinks, drive home, and I wasn't able to do that. And I ended up in a situation with people that I didn't want to be with, doing actions that I didn't want to do, and woke up the next day feeling like I was the worst person in the world. And when you do that enough times, maybe not to that degree every time before, but then you get to that time, it's kind of a wake-up call. It's like, what am I doing with my life? A moment of clarity. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I was going through separating from my husband at the time and dating people and all these different things that that were new to me um and 
yet I was still doing all those old actions and they just weren't conducive to who I wanted to be. And, you know, I, I got done drinking that day. I almost missed out on some wonderful things the next day. I was supposed to go to my nephew's baptism the next morning and I had to be dropped off at my car and my mother was watching my son and I had to show up late to the, you know, the party afterwards, after the baptism, after missing the baptism and, you know, pretend that I was just not feeling well and <laughs> feeling horrible about myself. And, you know, it took a couple days later, because that was a Sunday, you know, Wednesday, I'm driving home from work, feeling bad about myself and about the actions that had transpired a few days before. And, you know, obviously still internally feeling bad about other times that I had drank and missed out on responsibilities or things like that. And I started telling myself, I wanna go to the bar that night after work because I'm feeling so bad about myself and I want you know to be around people that it, are gonna be fun and happy and I'm gonna drink a little bit and I'll feel better and then all of a sudden I was just like what am I doing this is not the answer and uh, previously in my life I, I learned about sobriety very early on um, and I used to go to AA and NA meetings when I was younger because my father is an alcoholic and my mother is an alcoholic but doesn't drink, not active in recovery. <laughs> um, and so I had been to a place called Langdon and Cottage Grove, knew that they had meetings, but that was years back. And I just, I pulled, instead of driving to the bar, I pulled off onto the freeway and drove to Langdon and walked in hoping there was a meeting and there was and I sat down I listened to people talk for a little bit and then I cried like a baby <laughs> for like probably 20 minutes and then was shaky and just felt like I didn't know if I needed to be there but I did know I needed to be there and I just knew that I couldn't go back to doing what I was doing again and again and again and not feel any better about myself and feel worse about myself every single time. And you know, that, that, that to me was bottom enough, just knowing that, you know, I had lost a, a marriage, you know, not solely to drinking, it was two, two way street but it didn't help any. Like I certainly wasn't dealing with my feelings the way that I should have because I was drinking instead of doing that. Um, and then, you know, I was trying to cultivate a good relationship with my son, but how was I supposed to do that if I was continuing to go out, you know, when I should be trying to make more quality time with him and things like that. And, but yeah, it's not like I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my car. I didn't lose my house. I didn't, you know, lose every single friend that I had. I didn't rack up, you know, a ton of crime or debt, anything like that. But to me, losing an important person, losing a couple of close friends because of my actions while I was drinking, thinking that I was just being self-destructive and not destructive to them, and then missing out on an important thing in my family and having my son have to see me the next day like that was enough to just <laughs> snap me out of it, I guess. And, and I think that's amazing, Laura, because nobody can tell us or 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 
they cannot impart upon us what our bottom is going to be right. and what's good. What what is going to take for us to be able to do whatever it takes to get better. And a lot of the things that you just described, Laura, are amazing because I think a lot of us could identify mm-hmm. with that feeling of this is not who I am. Definitely. This is not who I want to be. And although I didn't have a concept of a higher power when I was in my active addiction and alcoholism, it certainly wasn't who the God of my understanding would have me be. Right. So all of these things that would happen, especially these moments of clarity where, you know, I get a DWI and I'm, you know, walking back from the jail (laughs) or I miss an important event or I lose an important relationship. Those things are... um, those things are consequences that are directly tied to not only just the drinking itself or the drug use itself, uh, whatever it may be, but also to the person we are mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. Right? Like, I think my disease is not the alcohol as much as, you know, who I am or was at that point, right? right. Like self centered and, you know, always wanting the easy way out, mm-hmm. wanting to feel better, like you were describing, <laughs> right? You yeah. know? And so it's kind of amazing because, you know, you had this familiarity with the 12 step fellowship, you know, before you even, mm-hmm. you know, entered into a place where you were, you know, uh, where you were drinking and far before it ever became a problem. Yeah. Right? Um, so it was neat that you had that, uh, that, that familiarity and that moment of clarity to say, this is where I need to go. And it almost seemed like, at least as I was listening to it, divine sort of intervention, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> you know, um, no, this isn't right. I need to do something about it. And the one thing I know that might be able to help is here yeah. in the 12 step fellowship. Yeah, definitely. So as you are in the rooms and invariably you come across a wide spectrum of, you know, people that are recovering mm-hmm. uh, or not, as it may be in the, in the 12 step <laughs> fellowship, there's both of those. Definitely. <laughs> the, it, does it ever occur to you that uh, your story is markedly different than maybe what you hear most often? Yes. <laughs> and, how, and, and how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? How do you come to terms with that? Because the dangerous road for any alcoholic is to be like, I wasn't that bad. Right, right. <laughs> Clearly, they're the alcoholic. Yes. And I was only going through a phase. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And I'm I'm victim of that and you know my story. Yes. <laughs> so how do you how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? How do you come to terms with that? You know, it's a lot of just evaluating what I want to get out of sobriety. Because yes, when I first started uh, going to AA and or in the program mm-hmm. and, and everything, I would hear all these stories about, you know, this person got their third DWI, they were in jail, like all this stuff. Even the example of my father, who is still an active alcoholic, like all of the things that he had done were way worse than I felt like I had ever done while drinking or, you know. Um, but I felt like 
I could relate to how they felt when they talked about how they felt about their bottom, you know? And so I was like, well, even if it wasn't, you know, on a scale from one to a hundred, if they were at a 98 and I felt like mine was at a 42, I still felt the same at 42 that they did when they were sharing their story about their, you know, higher degree of whatever you want to call it, bottom. Um, and so because I could relate to that, I felt like, well, I must be in the right place, you know? And when I would talk about certain things, other people would relate to me. So again, I felt like, well, then I must be in the right place. And uh, you were is. looking for the similarities. Exactly. You weren't yeah. looking for the differences. Yes. Because if we look for the differences, we'll find them. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, you know, any good addict and alcoholic will use that as a great, great, great excuse to go back out, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, wow, I wasn't that bad, right? <laughs> wasn't that bad, right? Yeah. I didn't do that, right? But right. you hit the nail on the head, Laura. It's about how we felt. Yes. As a result of our disease. Mm -hmm. You know, those feelings are universal. Mm -hmm. The guilt, the shame, the remorse, and the idea that the first thing that comes to our mind is, I didn't do that again, yeah. right? And for me, in the beginning, it was, I want to do that again. Mm -hmm. I want to do that again. I want to do that again. Because <laughs> this magic elixir does for me what I can't do for myself. Right. Makes me feel uh, like I want to feel, and I feel confident, and I feel funny, and I feel good looking, and I feel tall, and I feel <laughs> all those things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I can walk up to women, and, you know, I can be charming, and... That is what one of the reasons I loved that alcohol so much. Right. Because it it allowed me to be all the things I didn't think I could be mm -hmm. sober. Yeah. And sober, I was shy and I was a little awkward and um, self-conscious. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to that? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... You know, there was a time before I drank where I did feel confident and everything. And I talked about this a little bit with you before, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that I was a very guarded person. So that was kind of a false confidence. And then I discovered drinking, um, not even at 21. It was like 23 years old is when I started actually and drinking. And again, another <laughs> one of those things where, you know, a lot, lot of us in mm -hmm. the recovery community and uh, who are you know still active in addiction or alcoholism started really early mm -hmm. it's not a requirement no nope. <laughs> no nope. I, I went out there and I discovered that people liked me and thought I was beautiful and charming and funny and you are beautiful charming and funny. well thank you thank you <laughs> but at a point in my life when I didn't I didn't feel that way you know like not really inside right. I did not accept myself for who I was I didn't feel like I was making my husband happy. I didn't feel like I was making my parents happy. I didn't feel like I was being a good mom. I was being a good friend, any of that. But when I went out drinking with my friends, because let's face it, I'm from Wisconsin and that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Every weekend, weekend alcoholics and sometimes, you know, Thirsty Thursday and starts on Tuesday. Yeah, there's there's an excuse to drink for everything. Wisconsin, there really but, is. Um, but when I did that, I felt accepted. I felt like people wanted me around. I felt like I could just be who I wanted to be, 
you know, and it wasn't necessarily who I was, but that was desperately who I wanted to be. Um, but as I went on, it didn't, that didn't outweigh the bad effects that started happening. Like not being able to stop drinking once I had started, blacking out, making bad decisions while I was drinking, you know, all of those things. If if you look at a scale started to kind of go up, 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 up. And that charming person might have been there for like an hour. <laughs> and then the rest of the time that I'm out, I'm just fucking everything up. Pardon the swearing. You can swear all <laughs> you want on the way out podcast. Okay, well, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say freaking. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an important thing you bring up, an important concept you bring up in when we're in the middle of our disease. Uh, the or, or toward the end, the window where we're getting that relief mm-hmm. from alcohol shrinks. Diminishes, yes. Ah. <laughs> and isn't that start to be the real bitch yeah. of it? Because it's one thing that is supposed to be the answer mm-hmm. that makes us feel the way we want to feel, but it makes us to be able to do the things that we want to do, mm-hmm. right? Only it starts to do that for less and less time. Oh, yeah. And then those consequences, right, whether they be internal emotional consequences, like, I just know this isn't who I'm supposed to be. Right. And that that gap between who we, what we're doing today and, and who we are at that moment versus who we know we could be mm-hmm. deep, deep, deep down inside couldn't be bigger that's that's painful yeah that's that that's hard to live with it is it's hard to live with yourself when you know the person that you are at that moment is so far from the person you want to be and that's awful yeah well i think it keeps us chasing after it too you know like for a while there i would go out and i would remember all the good fun times that i had had and I desperately wanted that to feel better, but it was because I had that thought in the back of my head, like, I want that, I wanna recreate that, it's mm-hmm. not even genuine anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how many drinks is it gonna take to get back to that fun feeling? That magic. Right, yes, that magic time. And it, it doesn't happen, and then you're just constantly going back and trying again and chasing it and chasing it, and then it's not even fun anymore. You know, you're chasing something that isn't materializing, right, that isn't right. coming to fruition, and that's causing a lot of pain, mm-hmm. a lot of remorse, guilt, things that you know we want to maybe medicate again later on, mm-hmm. right? Like we wake up <laughs> and we do these things, or we put ourselves in positions that we wouldn't have otherwise put ourselves in, and we mm-hmm. end up doing things that we wouldn't normally do mm-hmm. under. Uh, sober conditions and you can't undo that stuff right you have to live with it exactly and it's hard to live with that sometimes right like it is well i don't think anybody wants to feel like they're a bad person right you know like they don't wake up and how bad can i be today right but after you've done some of the things that you do when you're out drinking or whatever and you start to think about those they pop up all the time in your head and you don't want to believe that you're that bad of a person. And so it's kind of like that you get stuck in the guilt and shame. And then what are you going to do to make yourself feel better? Are you going to go out and do something productive and grow emotionally? No! <laughs> <laughs> you're going to 
to go out and drink and forget the way you feel. Right. So, yeah. And you talk about this idea, especially as you were sort of in the middle of it, your active alcoholism, this idea that we don't know what to do with our feelings, mm -hmm. this idea that we, you know, we're, we have these emotions, they threaten to be overwhelming and unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with them, right? Yeah. And so alcohol gives me that relief and allows me just to feel free, even if it's for a small period of time. How do you now, How especially in early recovery, Laura, I mean, you had that sort of like moment where you went to your first meeting and you broke down. Sounds like a surrender to me. Mm -hmm. If I've ever seen a surrender, that sounds like <laughs> a surrender to me. Like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I did the same thing in a treatment counselor's office, cried like a baby. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, this moment where I just cannot continue to live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's killing me. Mm -hmm. It's killing me. Yeah. And so you start to recover but now you don't have this substance anymore. You don't have this magic elixir <laughs> that makes feelings go away. Right. <laughs> which was my favorite use for it of all time. <laughs> I have a feeling. I don't even know what that feeling is. I want to know what that feeling is. I know that I don't like it. Right. And I know what I can do to get rid of it, at least temporarily. So how did you get, how did you start navigating mm -hmm. emotions and feelings in recovery? Well, um, I was fortunate enough to like, kind of well i started dating someone who was in sobriety mm -hmm. um a little bit before i actually completely quit and quit drinking and and found myself in the program um so the times that i was drinking were a little bit further apart mm -hmm. and things that he would say you know were relatable i decided to check into a couple programs and found uh, one that deals with you know, your childhood and the reason why mm. you become addicted to alcohol and things like that. So I would already started journaling mm. and reading about what was going on inside of me. You're already going through a period of self discovery. Discovery. Yes. And then I made the decision um, shortly after that to also enter therapy. Um, I knew that there was obviously things that were making me do what I was doing. And so through that and therapy and talking with other people in recovery, um, I just started to start to feel each one individually, each feeling individually. And it's weird because they come out in really weird ways. <laughs> you know, you, you start to like, I'm a person who doesn't feel a lot of anger. Usually like I'll jump to sadness or, um, I don't know what other, you know, feelings just jump out right there, but sadness or, um, remorse or, you know, I'll jump to the, the lower end of the spectrum when I start to feel anything. And I know that about myself now. Um, but so the depressives, more, right, right, right. Yep. And it, which is funny because I feel like people outwardly think I'm this super bubbly, like cheery person. Right. And, but I'm only like that because I work those other feelings out, mm -hmm. you know, before I didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like those are my go-to emotions. And so. That's amazing <laughs> that you know that now, right? Right, Like yeah. we don't know that, like, you know, when you talk, we talk, we were talking about like, you know, we're not who we want to be, mm -hmm. but we didn't even know who we were. Right. 
right? Because we spent so much time masking mm-hmm. all of that. We didn't even give ourselves the time, the space, and the uh, in the room to do that self-discovery, mm-hmm. to find out what those go-to emotions are, right? Mm-hmm. And then get to a place of now what are we going to do with that, right? So right. you started this self-discovery, which sounds beautiful. And I, I got to say that the 12 steps and... Uh, for me, were a huge part of the answer, but so was therapy. Mm-hmm. And so, for those of you in Way Out Podcast Land, use every resource that you can, mm-hmm. and don't get into a spot where you feel like there's only one way to get well. Right there, you know, it takes a kind of a village kind of mm-hmm. right to get ourselves well and it yeah. sounds like not only were you embracing you know the 12 step programming community but you also embarked on this therapy for self discovery so tell me about that process okay um well let's see going into therapy it was a little scary yeah but <laughs> honestly have you been in therapy before um i tried it uh Strangely enough, you know, I, I, I really feel like your childhood and those kind of experiences shape you. Definitely. <laughs> uh, but my mother had um, set up therapy for me when I was 16 and because she thought that I was going down a bad road. Mm-hmm. When I look back, I mean, honestly, I was a very good kid. Yeah. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Um, but for whatever reason, she thought that I was going down a bad road. I never even was into drugs or anything at that point. Um, and I went to see this therapist and we talked a couple of times, I think it was twice. And then she invited my mom in for a session. And then she told my mom to lighten up on me. I was a great kid and, and said that maybe my mom should seek counseling. And I was like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) every every kid's dream when they're sent to therapy. Yes. And, and I mean, I, my mom has a very troubled past. So like I get Mm -hmm. where that was, but that was my first experience. And I'm like, well, she doesn't think I'm bad. So therapy can't be that bad. Um, and then I tried again once during my marriage, uh, when things were going bad and I saw a lady for a couple of sessions and she asked me if my husband would join and he refused to join. And so shortly after that, I kind of felt hopeless and, you know, rejected going back and was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to try to make this work on my own. But I don't think I was fully ready to tackle all my demons and go Mm. down my road to fix everything. Mm. I still felt like it was a very his and mine problem. And so after I left him, I was like, well, it's all me now. Right. And you got (laughs) nobody else but you. Exactly. And so I I looked up one woman and I mean, it's going to take a lot of tries. I, I don't feel and maybe some people find the right therapist right off the bat, but it did take a couple tries for me. I sought out a woman and I met with her once and I just didn't feel like we connected. Mm, that's important, mm-hmm. you know, to have somebody that you really feel like mm-hmm. you can connect with and don't feel like it's, and for me, my personal experience matches that, don't feel like it's you, right? right. Don't feel like you're the problem. You have the right and you owe it to yourself. Mm-hmm. To find the right fit for you. Because that's really what's going to make a big difference. Well, definitely. And it's I feel like it's that way with a sponsor, too. Definitely. You know, um, I found the lady that works well with me. And, I mean, we 
in the beginning, it was probably 90% tears, 10% moving forward with, <laughs> with any kind work. of, yes, <laughs> with any kind of anything. And then, you know, nowadays, uh, when I meet with my therapist, it's usually a bunch of laughter and a bunch of, you know, recap. And if I have something that I feel like I need to work on, I discuss it with her. Um, she suggests things or, you know, helps me work through whatever that feeling is that I can't quite mm. put my finger on because I'm not good at identifying feelings mm. all on my own. Four um, years in. Yes, yes. I can relate to that. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Well, that brings <laughs> me back to earlier when we were talking about um, that I was going to mention anger. Yeah, I, right. I really didn't let myself feel anger until... Actually, I, Charlie got to experience this very early on, or, or not that long ago, actually. Um, I had a little blip of a relationship, and it failed, and I released the anger yeah. that I had been holding on to for probably 30 years. <laughs> and it was like, it had nothing to do with that specific relationship, really. I mean, it was like 1% that actual thing that happened, right. but it opened up the floodgates. I never really allowed myself to get that angry. Mm. And so I talked to somebody else in recovery. And I said, I don't understand. Why am I so angry right now? And she said, well, have you ever really let yourself be that angry? And I said, no, I don't like to be angry. And she said, well, why don't you try to let yourself be angry? I said, that's freaking scary. <laughs> I said, I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. Oh, there's fear attached to that. Yeah. Ah, so... and how, much do, how often do we identify that it's fear <laughs> that's the underlying issue? Exactly. And so I decided that I didn't want to feel the anger anymore, but I wanted to get through it mm. and not just shut it off or, mm. or skip over it. We can't so, just not, right? Right, that's the thing. You can't not let yourself feel things because they do, they pop up out of nowhere. Oh, and sideways mm -hmm. and yeah. And so I did and I got super angry for, honestly, once I, I knew what was happening, I was only angry again for like a day. Uh -huh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it was like, all right, Laura, you, you are allowed to be angry. Good. Everybody gets angry. So let it rip. Mm -hmm. And you know, after doing that, I felt kind of silly and I was like, okay, well, I'm not that angry anymore. And you know, I, I kind of tried to think about the things in my life that were making me feel that anger. And once I did that, I just felt free and lighter. And I felt like, okay, well, that it's not so bad. <laughs> and so now I feel like I, I'm not really afraid of being angry. And I feel like I have a right to be angry. And I never knew that that was an issue, but I guess it was. <laughs> we'll be back right quick with the second half of my conversation with Laura as we break for this week's episode of Recovery Revealed, where we take time out to explore an individual aspect of recovery in greater depth. One of the hallmarks of many programs of recovery is the concept of carrying the message of recovery to the still suffering addict and alcoholic. There are about as many ways to carry the message of hope as there are blades of grass in an open field. The recovery program that I work on a daily basis works on the principle of attraction rather than promotion which may seem like a contradiction in terms when one thinks about carrying a message to those who may still be suffering from this often deadly disease of addiction and alcoholism. The foundation of my recovery was based on people whom I related to on a level unlike I had ever encountered in 36 years on this planet. 
people in recovery sharing their experience, strength, and hope and a way out of the hell that I had been living in for far too long. They were not actively recruiting me, pressuring me, or trying to convince me that their way was the only way to recover. They simply understood my disease because they suffered from the very same condition and proceeded to relate in a variety of ways how they got well. They often said, this is not a program for people who need it. It's a program for people that want it. And so long as I wanted to get well, they would be the willing guides through the 12 steps, not because they were looking to reach a membership goal or because they needed more $1 donations to the basket. No, they did this because they knew that in order to stay sober themselves, they needed to give back to others what was so freely given to them. One of the many paradoxes of the 12 steps is that in order to stay sober ourselves, we must give every ounce of the experience, strength, and hope we have to others, clearing the way for the God of our understanding to replenish our spiritual reservoirs. I recently had the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope with someone who reached out to me because they knew of my podcast and that I'm an active member of a recovery fellowship. I sat across the table from this person who was clearly suffering. I so desperately wanted the right mix of words to come out of my mouth that would strike them in just the right way so as to create a dramatic enough effect to bring about a desire within them to want to begin their own recovery journey. The reality, however, is the best I can hope to do is relate my own experience, strength, and hope as it relates to my own journey and encourage them to reach out to others that are in recovery and listen to their spiritual and experiential truth. I cannot make them feel a certain way, do a certain thing, or give them the desire to be sober. That can only come from within them, and that is between that person and their higher power. And that, my brothers and sisters, is quite difficult to accept for me at times something I often discuss with the God of my understanding. I do know this for certain. So long as I continue to be of maximum service to those around me and the God of my understanding, I am living out God's will for me. The rest falls under the often broad and expansive category of those things I cannot control. Now back to the conclusion of my conversation with Laura. Listen up. Fourth and fifth step, you start to realize your own accountability, your own actions, your responsibility in everything that's happened. And you can make a decision to let that off your chest and let that go and move forward and grow and learn about yourself and and get rid of your defects and work on them and you know, all those things. Or you can continue to blame it on someone else or something else. It's facing things, you know? Um, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, I figure out why. Mm -hmm. And I try to tackle it. I, I've been blessed with this fire to move forward. And it, like I said, if something scares me, I try to tackle it instead of run from it because I know that when I run from that, I'm just going back to how I was and I don't wanna go back to how I was. Don't forget, the way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast 
platform. And that process that we go through in terms of being able to continue to develop and grow, mm-hmm. both, you know, I think spiritually and emotionally and um, and otherwise, right, mm-hmm. uh, sort of manifests itself in different ways. You know, when you say, you know, your default was not anger, mm-hmm. right? But upon, you know, further examination, you realize because you weren't giving yourself permission to feel angry. Yeah, right? definitely. And you would have never gotten to that place without sobriety. Definitely. Right? So the sobriety <laughs> for me, like, is the is the foundation mm-hmm. of all of all growth. Can you relate to that? Like, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like when you're using or drinking, whatever your drug of choice is, you're not allowing yourself to feel, you know, like we were talking about. It's, it. you focus on other things, you become, even if you're not even a quote unquote self-centered person or you don't feel like you are, everything you do is centered on how you're feeling or how you're not going to let yourself feel. Which is extremely self-centered. Exactly. And so, I know it's it just funny? a freaking yeah. weird thing yeah. that happens, right. but... Yeah, so you you do. You stop focusing on what you can do for other people. It's more what can they do for you to Mm. make you this way or that way. And Mm -hmm. it just becomes this jumbled game all about yourself. And until you remove that and you're forced to cause your own happiness or, you know, not drink your happiness or, you know, cause your own success, that kind of thing, and not envy someone else's success. It, It becomes about you. Definitely, but it's about the work that you're going to do and the work that you're going to put in to get to the result that you want. And that's an amazing way to put it, Laura, because I feel like there's this moment in your life where it was just you. Mm -hmm. And there was no longer anybody else's fault. Mm -hmm. It was no longer because of this situation or because of this person or because of my family or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I think... I can relate to that in my own recovery, yeah. right? Like, it's just, now it's me. It's just me. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do? Because I don't like me right now. Yeah. And I don't like where I am at all. And I put myself here. Yeah. Right? That is kind of a shitty place. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> like, this, when you, re- in that surrender we talked about, like, mm-hmm. that realization that this is on me. Yeah. The way I feel, the way I am, everything that that has led up to this particular moment is my, I have to own it. Right. And now, how do I go about the work of being able to get well and get better and get healthy? Mm -hmm. And it's a journey for sure, right? Definitely. I feel like that, you know, what you just said brings it back to the fourth step. You know, I feel like that's when you start the fourth and fifth step, you start to realize your own accountability, your own actions, your responsibility in everything that's happened. And you can make a decision to let that off your chest and let that go and move forward and grow and learn about yourself and and get rid of your defects and work on them and all those things. Or you can continue to blame it on someone else or something else. And continue, you know, if you do struggle with that, and it's not to say that everyone will go back out, but I feel like that is something that you really need to try to work through is your own um, ability be or ability to feel responsible for your where you're at. 
You know, I like the accountable piece. You know, mm-hmm. some of the things that when I went through my four step, I was minimizing about myself and my mm-hmm. behavior and my part. <laughs> and some of the things I was um, making bigger than they were. Okay. Right? You know, like I was making myself out to be a bigger piece of shit than I was in <laughs> <Right>. some <laughs> aspects, right? Yes. And that sort of like um, almost reverse pride. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the biggest piece of shit. Right. And here's why. Yeah. Right? And if you really knew... You know, mm-hmm. the things I did, you wouldn't like me. Right. You know, and there's a certain, like, sort of reverse arrogance to that. Yeah. You know? It's the selfishness. Uh, right, right. <laughs> like, I am the biggest piece of shit, mm-hmm. and here's why. No, I just did some things that, you know, many others have done, mm-hmm. and I'm not proud of, and they're not reflective of who I want to be, right. and I don't feel good about them, right? And there's this other set of things that I did that I need to take responsibility and ownership to that I didn't, yeah. right? And then there was a whole other level of things that I didn't even know that I was doing. Yeah. That I didn't even realize I was operating that way, you know? So I love that you brought up the four-step because it was like this big aha moment, like, oh my God, I am... <laughs> way more selfish than I ever thought. Right? <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, well, Really that's, selfish. That's why putting it down, for me at least, on paper, or, you know, type it up in a journal on the computer, whatever, but when you externalize all that stuff that's going on in your head, you can look at it, and you can digest it, and you can learn from it. You know, if you just keep it all inside, it's not going to do anything but kill you. <laughs> it's a fact-finding mission, right? Right. It's not an emotion-finding mission. It's not, you know, because a lot of times the emotion tied to whatever it is within my inventory mm-hmm. makes it feel different than it really is. Right. So it's like, it's nice that it's this fact-finding mission. Yeah. I'm finding out exactly what my inventory is, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. And then once I have that honest picture of it then I can go about the business starting to do something with it and you talked about the defects of character and Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things then give me an ability again to know myself Mm -hmm. right and know how I operate or how I traditionally operated Mm -hmm. in relationships how I traditionally showed up Mm -hmm. and choose to show up differently Mm -hmm. definitely in life today So, how do you show up differently based on, you know, some of the work that you've done and some Mm -hmm. some serious work, right? I mean, you come from a family of two alcoholics, Mm -hmm. right, Um, who by nature um, are uh, probably not super emotionally available Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, not emotional sort of ninjas. Right. (laughs) Right? So, you have this... So you're starting from ground zero, mm-hmm. right? How are you showing up today? Well, I'm learning as I'm going. <laughs> um, it's facing things, you know? Um, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, I figure out why. Mm-hmm. And I try to tackle it. I, I've been blessed with this fire to move forward and 
like I said, if something scares me, I try to tackle it instead of run from it because I know that when I run from that, I'm just going back to how I was and I don't want to go back to how I was. Um, and if someone else needs help, it's kind of like um, when you're a kid, I don't know if anybody else has experience with church or anything like that. Like I wasn't huge on it, um, but I did explore a little bit and you know, there they teach you to show up for other people and things like that. And so in my head, now I'm like, I want to be the kind of person that I looked at when I was younger and I experienced those church things. You know, I was like, they just went and did stuff for people. They weren't expecting anything back, you know, and I want to be that kind of person. So I'm making myself that kind of person. You know, I, I want to show up for other people, but I also want to show up for myself. I don't want to sit there and dwell on things and move backwards or anything like that. So it's a lot of aligning with my goals and making sure I check in with my goals and I don't know, just being open and available I feel like is is how I'm moving forward so let's talk about the spirituality piece mm -hmm. because for me it's a, it's a, it's probably the single most important sort growth mm -hmm. that I've experienced is the spiritual piece yeah and that has made such a dramatic difference in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was not a really, I hate, you know, yeah. you know my story about God and, <laughs> and so does this, so does this audience. Mm -hmm. I hated it. I hated God. Why yeah. nothing you don't God? <laughs> How was spirituality for you before? Mm -hmm. And how is it today? Well, um, like I said, we weren't forced to go to church. I only explored it to see what it was about. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't agree with like a Christian God or mm -hmm. anything like that. So it was hard. my mom was raised Catholic. So like, I feel like she does have that totally heavy guilt-ridden. Ah, yes. Catholic guilt. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> I'm a recovering Catholic myself. Oh, my Laura. goodness. Yes. That adds a whole new layer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it probably explains a lot of things. Huh? A little bit, a yeah, little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, so I couldn't relate to her on that, but you know, I'm happy that I was free to discover what I wanted to. And so what I took from it was, like I said, that church experience wasn't about God or Jesus or something like that. For me, it was about the goodness in people. Mm. I saw some really good things, mm. you know? Um, I saw community support. Um, you saw what this faith was doing for these people. Right. And so I that really helped me internally in some areas. Um, but when I got into sobriety, I kind of made the decision that I don't need to call it anyone else's kind of God. It's my God. And to me, that's the universe. I feel like we're all connected and what you give out, you get back. And so I wanna give all the things that I wanna receive, which yeah, maybe that is a little selfish, but <laughs> I feel like if I'm giving good things, then that's, how is that hurting anyone? Right. You know? Um, and so, and connecting, um, I feel like if I don't pray about things and try to reflect and get answers, then I don't have a good outcome, you know? And I don't know, I, I don't know, it's hard. Spirituality is so different for everyone. It really is, but it's a very personal journey. Mm -hmm. It's a very um, individual journey. Mm -hmm. uh, Louis the Recovery Dog has <laughs> shown me the podcast. Yes, he is a 
very kissy right now. <laughs> yeah, he is very lovey. Mm-hmm. The, but it's a very individual sort of personal journey. And the spirituality for you today mm-hmm. may sound simple, but it's working really well for you. Yeah. And the idea is for you, you know, for me, you know, being of maximum service is like this mm-hmm. mantra that I have. Mm-hmm. And it's worked. And for you, this giving, right? Like mm-hmm. I, and, and I can relate to that because that was one of my big aha moments early on was I'm praying mm-hmm. to a God that I don't really understand and I'm trying to be of maximum service and life is getting better. Yeah. And I'm feeling better. Right. And what's being reflected back to me is different because what yeah. I'm putting out into the world is different. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I very much, very, very much identify with that sort of here's what I'm putting out into the world. And I'm only worried about what I'm putting out. Right. That's it. I'm not worried about what you're giving to me. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about what I'm putting out. Right. And if I'm focused on that and try to maintain a channel with the God of my understanding, my higher power. Mm-hmm. That helps me to be able to put out the things that I want to put out. Exactly. If I'm blocked, mm-hmm. I don't know if you relate to this at all, but if I'm blocked, I start putting out stuff that I don't want to put out. Yeah. <laughs> and, I kinda, I, and then I can't undo it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if the pipes are dirty, your water's going to be dirty. Ah, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you got to keep yourself at a good level spiritually in order to give what you are actually intending to give out. Um, so if I am lacking in my, in my program and things like that, I'm obviously not going to be, like you said, at maximum service to other people because there's things that I'm going to need to work on first, you know? It's an interesting thing because, you know, I gotta be, I gotta show, we talked about this, I gotta show up for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I gotta be able to take care of me and self-care. Yeah. It's extremely important. I was horrible at that ah. Before. <laughs> ah. before I got sober. Mm. Um, I definitely was giving at that point in time, but it was like we said, I was giving crap because I was not taking care of myself. You know, I would give and give and give and give and give. But it was the wrong kind of giving. Ooh, but, tell me about that. Why? What okay. was wrong about it? How um, could it be wrong to give? <laughs> well, um, you can enable people to continue bad habits, um, to continue to treat you poorly mm. if you don't set up boundaries mm. and you just give them room to walk all over you. Sure. Um, I would let. Which people- breeds resentment right. and other things, exactly. right? Exactly, definitely. Good connection there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I wouldn't set my own... Yeah, boundaries is a good way to put it. Um, I wouldn't set my own boundaries and let... You did a great job of setting boundaries with Louie today, I yes. gotta tell you. <laughs> yes, we're, we're working on it. <laughs> He's getting there. He's taking yeah. a nap now, so we're good. Yeah. Um, but I feel like... I let people take advantage of me. I let people do whatever they want because I didn't know how to stop it. So I just let it happen. You know. Was there a self-esteem element to that too? Like yeah. maybe if I don't do this, they're not gonna. Yeah. Hang out with me. They're not gonna want to be with me. They're not gonna want. Yeah. Me. Well, any attention's better than no attention. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Coming from the baby <laughs> of the family. <laughs> uh huh. Look at me. Look what I do. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So that definitely had a piece in it. And when I was using or drinking, whatever you want to call it, um, I did. I just, I didn't have any boundaries, good, bad. It just, I let it all happen. And I, I specific things that come to my mind are like people in my life that I let distract me from my own self-work. And what I mean by that is I would get consumed in their problems mm. and try to take their inventory mm. <laughs> before I knew what an inventory was. Right. And I would let, you know, their There's drama. There's a codependency to yes, that, right? Yes, yes, definitely. Oh, God, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and so I would let that kind of rule me, and it, it did. It was a way to distract me away from all the things that were going on in myself or my shortcomings. Anything that was wrong with me was just deflected because I was so wrapped up in these other people. And I would give them anything they wanted and anything they needed because I was that that person you know but it wasn't good like I said it wasn't giving them good I wasn't giving them space to learn that they can't treat their friends badly mm -hmm. I wasn't giving them ultimatums or distancing myself when I needed to for them to grow mm, healthy you know? detachment yeah and that loving detachment exactly. piece like I can love you but I cannot uh, I'm not okay mm -hmm. with what's going on right now, so I need to detach. Right. So I was there for them. I was Johnny on the spot, or I don't know if you call that Janelle on the spot, since I'm a lady, but... <laughs> I'm not even sure what the female... Right. right? Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I don't know, like, I feel like I thought I was doing the right thing, and I thought I was this giving person, but I was just not doing what I needed to do to get better. For you. Mm-hmm. For me. So as you uh, do this in recovery, how do you show up for yourself in a self-care? Mm -hmm. does, what does self-care look like for you now? And what does giving look like for you now? Okay. How, do you, how do you sort of walk that line so you're not enabling, you're not... Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, you're not getting into a codependent type of relationship mm -hmm. or dynamic with a friend or a significant other or something of that nature. You're, you're a, an adult child of alcoholics, yep. right? So that enabling piece and that codependency probably is familiar territory, mm -hmm. at least in part because of that. Mm -hmm. um, well, I check in with myself. That's mm. number one. So if I've got a lot of stuff going on and I'm giving my time to a lot of people or to one person a lot and I'm starting to feel overwhelmed or I'm starting to feel like I don't want to see that person or ah, you know what I mean? Like those things. You start noticing these feelings yes. and they start sending up maybe some signals. Yep. Yep. And so I'm like, okay. I know this feeling. Ah. Why why is this going on? Why am on? I feeling this way? Right. When and I think about so and so. Yep. And so now that I'm sober and everything, I I can determine that and I can say, okay, so what are what do I need to do to take care of myself? Ah. I need to take some time for myself or maybe there's something I need to address with someone. Um, I just actually had this happen recently with a really close friend. Mm -hmm that we've had the same kind of issue happen So is it years. like a bubble bath and Michael, Michael Buble? Is that your self-care? <laughs> no. Oh. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it could be, I guess, but... <laughs> nice. Sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, spotty. Um, but no, I, I had that happen, and I, I noticed that I wasn't setting a boundary. Mm -hmm. you know, that boundary thing is huge, and 
and I wasn't standing up for how I felt. Mm. So, because I cared for this person dearly, I never wanted to upset them, and I decided that in order for us to have an actual friendship, I needed to be there too, and I needed them to know how I felt. I couldn't just, they're not a mind reader. They don't know. Right. So I, I said how I felt, and amazingly, it worked. Ah, the friendship hmm. is good. And, right. you know, that person told me things that I needed to hear, too, from sure. them. Sure, You know, and... You're working from a point of honesty mm-hmm. and a point of, you know, hey, I care for you, but here's how I'm feeling, and I can't sacrifice this, this, or this in order to be able to, you know, have this relationship, right? Right. Yeah. All those adult things. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's true, though, but, you know, this idea that, you know, and, um, uh, a codependency is, it's funny, and there was a, uh, a counselor, a treatment counselor for me, who, um, as we were doing our weekly check-ins, right, mm-hmm. we were talking about certain relationship dynamics, and, you know, there's a book uh, from CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous, which mm. is similar to Al-Anon, but mm-hmm. um, there's some differences. But she's like, Here, this, is a, this is my book, right? If you read this and you get then your first reaction is to get super pissed off <laughs> and want to throw it against the wall, <laughs> you might want to look into the codependency a little yeah. bit more, right? Yeah, I was like, whatever, okay. <laughs> and it kind of sat on my... It moved. Yeah. So it was far away from my, my nightstand at first. Yeah. It wasn't even my room at first. And then it kind of moved into my room. And then it was not really close to my, but it kept getting closer and closer to my nightstand. And finally, I read it, and I, I hated it. Right? I was like, oh, hell no. But those are those moments where you have to reckon with yourself mm-hmm. that... Uh, if you've got that inside of you, it has to be addressed. You can't just stuff that away. Right. And it's going to continue to manifest itself in relationships until I deal with it, until I oh, exactly. can get through it, right? It's going to continue to be this sort of pattern that mm-hmm. keeps occurring over and over and over and really be the demise of the relationships, whatever relationships, friendships, Romantic, intimate, whatever. Mm-hmm. Can you relate to that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I had two books, like, when I first started off on everything, like I said, um, that were about codependency. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading the first couple of pages going, well, not that bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever, you know. Oh, and these then, people are sick. <laughs> I know, right? <sighs> Let me get them some help. <laughs> um, and by the end of the book, I'm like, oh, my God, I did it. It's my life. They're talking to me. And so, yeah. you know, at that point, you kind of accept, and you're like, okay, well. Um, so there's this thing now that yes. I can't un, like, it's sort yes, of. Yes, you can't unlearn it. <laughs> Bingo. About yourself. Yes. It, the, uh, 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 the cat's out of the bag, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not going back in the bag anymore. So right. now I have no what to do with this cat. Yeah. And I mean, at first it was a little overwhelming because I was like, okay, so I'm an alcoholic. I'm, uh, you know, at that time, I guess I was, I'm possibly an alcoholic because I (laughs) hadn't admitted that to myself yet. Um, And alcoholish is what I like to say. Oh, yes, I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I was alcoholish and maybe codependent <laughs> and yes, ish. And I might have had some, you know, issues with adult alcoholic children. I can't right, think right now. Yeah, um, children yeah. of adult alcoholics or whatever. And um, I may have had all these things and they were starting to pile up. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So so what do I do with this? And um Again, I kind of treated it like we talked about in the beginning with the bottoms. You know, it was like, what could I relate to? If it was something I could relate to, like the stories in those books um, about the way that somebody behaved in a certain situation, if I could relate to it, I said, well, I may have a problem with codependency. And so, um, fortunately, with the books that I was reading, they did give suggestions and things like that on how to you know, overcome certain side effects of it or whatever. I mean, it's a lifelong thing. It's not something when you are codependent, you're not just like cured of it right. one day, you know, it's, it's taking your own self care and your own, it, it's about a person who has a really hard time standing up for themselves. That is, I feel at the heart of a codependent person. Um, and when you start to stick up for yourself in good ways and set up those boundaries and say how you feel and all those things, they help you get through your initial reaction to be codependent, which in my, like I said, in my heart, I feel like is someone who means well, <laughs> but tends to give too much of themselves and, you know, not face certain things and, and it gets into muddy waters at that point. And somebody once told me that no is a complete sentence. <laughs> and that's instructive to me. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily owe you an explanation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, this is my boundary. Mm -hmm. You know? And justify. I can say no. Yeah. Oh, justify. You know? Yeah. I so. would. <laughs> I would justify yes. everything. Right. Right. <laughs> and when you feel like you have to justify it, then it almost weakens that, you know, sort of, no, this is just not okay with me. Mm -hmm. And this is, yeah. I don't have to tell you why. Well, yeah, that's just like the anger thing. You know, you're allowed to say no. Right. You're, you're allowed to feel angry. You're allowed to do all these things, and and you don't have to explain it to anybody. And but I don't know if a lot of people get to that point unless they are able to explore themselves. You know, that's 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 what I've been doing. It's amazing that self exploration, that journey of self exploration that goes on who for the rest of our lives, really, mm -hmm. right? But I I I, I embrace it today, mm -hmm. and. There are things I learn about myself and how I interact with other people every day. And, you know, when you're like me and stunted your emotional development from like the age of 14 mm -hmm. and didn't <laughs> really get sober until he's 36. I, you know, I have a lot of growing to do. Right. I got a lot. I got, I got lots to do. I'm a very busy guy, Laura. Yeah. Very busy guy. So as we sort of wrap up our conversation... One of the things that occurs to me is that there's likely a lot of people the way out podcast land mm -hmm. that may have identified with, you know, this idea that, you know, I wasn't this down and out destitute, right? Mm -hmm. But I can't keep living the way I'm living kind of situation. Right. What would you say to a person that was in a situation that was similar to you that yeah. might be in a place where they're evaluating whether they're an alcoholic or not? Mm -hmm. What What would you say? I would say give it a try <laughs> um, and listen to somebody else or listen to um, 
people talk in a meeting or something like that, or if you know somebody that is a recovering alcoholic or drug addict, listen to their story and see how you relate. You know, you might not relate to everything to their bottom, quote unquote, but if you can feel how they felt when they're talking about losing this or that or, you know, anything, if you can relate to it in some sort of way where you feel like, wow, I see what they have now and I've been feeling the way that they've been describing, then maybe there's hope and and maybe I could check this out. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You meet some people, right. you talk a little bit right. or you don't talk and you go about your merry way. You know, there's nothing to lose. Somebody once told me that, you know, you can go ahead and you can give this a shot and, you know, the end of whatever will gladly refund your misery. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> you know, but I like the way you frame that because it's not about what we did. It's about how we felt and that toll it took on us emotionally and spiritually. And that's what I find I identify in and out of the rooms of recovery when I hear another mm-hmm. alcoholic or addict in recovery share. Yes. I relate to the spiritual and emotional toll mm-hmm. that it took on us yeah. and how that felt. And that idea that if you felt like I felt, right? Mm-hmm. And if you drank like I drank, right? Mm-hmm. Then maybe I can get better like you got better. Because right. that's that hope piece, mm-hmm. right? Like you got better. And maybe I could get better too. Right. And that's the essence in my mind of the 12 step program and this 12-step fellowship, but broader than that recovery in general. There's more than one way to recover, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I'm a 12-step guy, but I've interviewed and been in close association with a lot of people that have recovered a lot of other ways. Right, right. And that's beautiful too. Mm -hmm. And it's no less valid. Exactly. You know? Um, And I love the fact that we have our personal journeys to recovery. Love the fact that you shared yours <laughs> Thank you. here on the Way Out podcast. Uh, and um, if anybody out there in Way Out podcast land wants to get a hold of Laura, email me at mm-hmm. share at wayoutcast.com. That is share at wayoutcast.com. I will absolutely make sure Laura gets the message. And uh, um, I know that uh, uh, she would love to be able to hear from you. So, Laura, thank you so much for being a part of the Way Out podcast. You did tremendous. You did amazing. <laughs> the amount of sp- experience, strength, and hope that you just provided here is just absolutely 100% amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com that's wayoutcast all one word dot com or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com there you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher and Podcast Garden if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast contact me at share at wayoutcast.com see you next time and remember if you don't change your sobriety day will (laughs) 